you freaking auto? This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. And Brooke Roy, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. How do you feel about the Seahawks getting either shafted or not having enough good players? Because one of those two things is happening on defense right now. The ESPN list came out. It is list season. So you got to take all this with a grain of list salt. It's like a new type of finishing salt, right? I like that Murray River salt. This is a uh, this is a uh, a list salt that you've just got to take everything with because it's list season. Like that's just sort of where we're at right now in the NFL. A couple more weeks before training camp starts, and we're gonna start our own list. I think tomorrow. Every day at nine forty-five. Uh, I don't know what different list. <laughs> We've got another list you said it, not me. For, to add to this uh, to add to this show. Um, this is one we've done many, many times in the past. This is the most intriguing Seahawks list heading into the season. So we will start that either tomorrow, maybe next week. I'm not sure. Um, ESPN is doing their defensive rankings right now by position, and they finished up the defense yesterday. It's voted on by NFL players, executives, coaches, and then they do a top 10 plus some honorable mentions. See more? They like their honorable mentions, as they should. Of course. Quandre Diggs, honorable mention for safeties. Bobby Wagner. Yes, but wait, can I say Quandre Diggs is an incredible honorable mention. They don't just name every player possible so they don't leave anyone out. Like even things they don't like. Like, oh, that player's not very good, but let's list him so people know that we know he exists. Be helpful if they did sometimes. I, I mean, like, I'd like to know this, a lot of the Seahawks players exist in these people's minds. It'd be helpful. I think this is actually saying. a case for making, how honorable mention should work. It's right. Well, Don't I look at me and say, see, Mora. <laughs> well, anyway, they have honorable mentions. Uh, all right. Uh, you might be right on that one. I'm a, I actually don't really have much of a comeback, so I'm just going to concede on that point uh, just for now. But um, Quandre was an honorable mention. Bobby's an honorable mention. And Tariq Woolen was an honorable mention as well. That was it. Got some votes for Jordan Brooks, some votes for Chenna, some votes for Draymond Jones. That was it. So how big a deal is that? Is it, hey, you play up in, you know, Southeast Alaska, nobody cares. Is it that story? That wasn't the case when you had Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor and, you know, the rest of the Legion of Boom. They didn't get ignored. They would have been in the top 10 of every one of these lists. Now, maybe they might have been down a spot or two. If they had been, you know, in New York or somewhere, maybe they would have been a little bit higher. But, I mean, they weren't ignored. So I don't know if I can just point at this and say, ah, they, it's just a Seattle thing. I don't, I don't think I could say that. Yeah, maybe Quandre's got a legitimate case to be made that he should at least be in the top 10. And you heard Brock kind of make it a few minutes ago in Blue 88. And Quandre tweeted it. I'll read his tweet. He said, all I'll say about this list what else do I have to do to prove I'm one of the best in the league? Consistency did that. Top five in interceptions since 2017 did that. Pro Bowl did that three times straight. Six years of three plus picks did that. First since Ed Reed, captain did that. Big contract did that. Play at a high level after a severe injury did that. Everybody on that list deserves to be on there, and I show love to everybody. I'm just speaking my piece. I just want my respect. How does he have so many characters he can use in a tweet? That seems like a lot more. It was a, it was a multi-tweet. Uh, yeah, multi-tweet. Okay. 
It was a threat. To me, he has... A threat on tweets, not a threat on threads. The biggest case. Yeah, it's a pretty good case. I normally don't get fired up about list. This one, I think, it bothered me a little more because it is people within the NFL voting on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how do they... Quantre Diggs is so respected just even by other players. You see it all the time with his interactions. I don't, it's so crazy to me that he didn't crack the top 10. Yeah, it's pretty surprising. And maybe people forgot about him. I don't know how. He se- certainly seems to try to make himself top of mind. Antoine Winfield Jr. from the Bucks won a tiebreaker for number 10. Mm, so he could have been number 10. I mean, okay. I still think that, you know, with all those Pro Bowl nods, et cetera, you would think he would have been a little higher. Tariq Woolen had a post also. He said, I never cared what these stat pages and blogs say. It's all about, it's all just looks good, TBH. Uh, that's to be honest, in case you don't know. I just know that Reek this year going to be better than last year's because if I do, then I can never be wrong. I don't got none to prove to anyone except myself. It's too bad he didn't put a shoot in there because I like when he says shoot. But Quandre replied to him and said, man, shut up. So (laughs) (laughs) obviously they're not too, too worried about where all this is going. You're too young to be a I don't think so. Tariq, I I thought he was going to be higher, but I think that the beef that he has is the the write up on his was kind of like. Oh, he basically outperformed last year, and they they don't think he's going to be as. I think he's got tons of room to grow. Absolutely. He's still growing. He's still new to this. He's still young at this. So, look, I don't know whether they deserve to have people on this list or not, but when you have zero, it starts to present a picture. I mean, it, it also backs up the concern we have that this defense is going to have a problem this year, that they have not fixed the problems that they had last year. Hopefully that's not true, and and certainly you can write a story in which a lot of their young players end up improving and being better than expected, and that the the total of this team ends up being better than the sum of its parts. That's absolutely a possibility. I can write that story pretty easily. But do they have the kind of freak show talent that they used to? No. Do they have the kind of talent that is getting noticed around the league? Not on defense, right? It's funny. Their offense might not have some of that individual talent, but taken as a whole, you saw what it was capable of last year. And if everything fits together scheme-wise, an offense can just do damage. But a defense needs to, needs, to, needs to have somebody that makes a play. They need to have people that are unblockable. They need to have people that we keep absolutely that force the offense to account for them. And if you look at the way things are set up right now, yeah, it's a concern. Could the chip on the shoulder thing help? Yes. Bulletin board material 360 says absolutely. Yeah, I'm with you. That may be a great thing for them. And I'm not trying to kill them for this. They should be better than this. But do you think that this defense has done enough? It's going to be my concern right until the day we actually see what they look like in real games. Because until then... It still looks too much like it did the last couple of years, and that's a defense that has not been championship worthy. Come right back, give you everything you need to know, including a nice compliment to every single fan here in Seattle. It's coming up next. It's Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710, salesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. What an awesome week it was with the All-Star festivities here in Seattle. As for the game itself, how many people watched it? The ratings came out yesterday. Kind of a mixed bag. Bad news, lowest rated All-Star game in history. You got to start there. 
Only about 7.1 million people tuned in nationwide. That's down just slightly from where they were a year ago. But there is some better news inside of it for those of us who look at demographic information, etc. Baseball, as we always hear, is losing the battle for the younger generation. Well, that demo was actually up 18 to 49. That was up for the first time in nine years. So, yeah, maybe the news is a little bit mixed. Baseball, by the way, for all of the shots taken, the All-Star Game is still the most popular and most watched in sports. It is higher than the NFL, uh, higher than the NBA, higher than the NHL by a considerable margin. And oh, by the way, Seattle was the top city in terms of ratings. So everybody here took the time to watch it and wanted to see its ballpark and everything that was on display here in Seattle. Did an 8.4 rating, which is ahead of Atlanta, Baltimore, Cincy, and Philadelphia pretty good uh, for us here in Seattle. Baseball doing a world tour in 2024, trying to continue to grow the game for more international destinations. Some they've done before, London, Mexico City, Santa Domingo, but they're going to add Seoul, Korea. That'll be the opener uh, of the regular season. Be the first time that they've ever played a game in Seoul, which I think is cool. I really have always wanted to go to that city, and uh, Korean baseball has been better and better over the last few years, so glad to see that the major leagues are going to play a game in that city. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right, one more off day here for the Mariners before they start a second half with a big-time sprint. They were pretty good when we saw them last. John Morosi on yesterday with Wyman and Bob. They closed the first half, I think, really playing very good baseball. You win a series from the Rays, then the Giants, then the Astros, back to back to back. That's impressive. You're a contender because your pitching is that good. They, The Mariners, in, in some ways, it's it's surprising that that when you look at their, their big picture of, of the team and how good their pitching is, it's surprising that they haven't hit just a little bit better to, to win more of those one-run games. and Because I think overall, people in the industry look at this team when I talk to them and say, that Seattle team is really well-built. They have something, which is young, controllable pitching, that is the envy of the entire industry. The entire industry would love to have what Seattle has right now. Okay, so what are you going to do between now and the trade deadline? If you do well on this homestand, as I said, Minnesota, Detroit, Toronto, then you can absolutely make a pretty good case to be big-time buyers. How much do you want to buy? Where do you want to improve? Second base, DH, outfield, another outfielder. Probably going to need another starting pitcher, depending on what happens with Brian Wu and Marco Gonzalez. Do you want to try to upgrade some of the positions that you thought going into the year were solid? First base, third base, catcher? they got a lot of options in front of them. We'll talk to Jerry DePoto coming up here in 20 minutes, and Luis Castillo will get the ball tomorrow. Here's the third thing you need to know. Yeah, I always love the ESPYs. I watched last night, as I tend to almost every single year. The awards are fun. And there's usually some entertaining stuff, and there was. I don't know if you saw The Mentalist last night with the LSU uh, women's basketball team. That was a lot of fun. But there's always something that'll bring a tear to your eye. And last night it was DeMar Hamlin presenting the Pat Tillman Award to the Bills training staff that had saved his life. Please welcome this year's recipient of the Pat Tillman Award for service, the training staff of the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, it was a really great moment. Uh, he was 
choked up, hard for him to even get through the the talk that he had before welcoming him onto the stage. And then all of them were hugging, and a bit, it was just it was a really cool magical moment for a, a great capper. Maybe not quite the capper because he's still going to play probably this year, but. You know, after what all of us saw with him on the field last year, amazing that they're at that point where he could do something like that. Uh, Meanwhile, some other winners, Patrick Mahomes was the best male athlete. I really enjoyed Michaela Schifrin, the skier who uh, won best female athlete. She had a fantastic speech on what it means to go after records. This season was absolutely incredible. And there was a lot of talk about records. And it got me thinking, why is a record actually important? And I just feel like it's not important to break records or reset records. It's important to set the tone for the next generation to inspire them. And then inspiration that I feel just being in this room is um, a little bit overwhelming. So I think you can probably tell. So um, thank you for that. And thank you to the fans for voting. And I hope everybody has a really great night. And um, congratulations to the nominees and winners. She seemed a little starstruck, but it was one of the cool things, I think, about the ESPYs is seeing all of these incredibly talented, famous people, and they all seem to recognize how great all of the other people around them are. I was there for it a few years ago, and when you when you were around that many people of their level of fame, it's definitely cool to see them interact and kind of all be at the same level. So that is uh, everything you need to know. We do a quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show If you ever do get a chance, go to the ESPYs. I told the story earlier of how you go on the red carpet, but you don't go on the real red carpet because that really would be embarrassing. Thank God you go on a fake red carpet that's near the real red carpet, and they just kind of let you take your own pictures on your phone as opposed to having, you know, a bunch of photographers be like, who's that? Who's this? Have you ever covered a red carpet? Have you ever been on one asking, like, interview? No, I have not. I mean, I have to talk to more about that. That's that's really more her bellywick. I haven't done that. Pretty cool. I mean, you were, what, six inches away from Julio's face, right, Maura? Yeah, I actually, um, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, Tim Heavily, who uh, heads up Mariners PR, was kind enough to, after like everybody kind of got him together, bring him directly over to me. Okay. And so I was filming with my phone. Luckily, Steven, who does social media for us, got a better video. And I actually had to step back because I was like cutting off the top of his head. He was he too was close. right in front of me. <laughs> yeah. So that it, was, did, he was kind enough to answer a couple questions for me. And everybody you was trying to wave him down. So. Any cologne, anything like that? No, but I mean, he <laughs> looked like, like all Oscar. of the Mariners players dressed to the nines that day. I don't yeah. know. He was wearing like a, a dressy kind of, uh, I don't think many people could pull that off. It was like a. No kidding. More of a, uh, a t-shirt. <laughs> Not a, um, a short sleeve collared button button up. It was kind of like almost like a tweed looking. Huh. Uh, and Do you think I could pull it off? And then he had a. Beautiful chain on. I should have asked about that, but I only got a couple of quick questions. Mm. So, do you think I could have pulled off what he was wearing? I think it would be one that you would say look like pajamas. On you think me. it would look like pajamas on me? Uh, well, I think you would. You would say it <laughs> no. Looks like pajamas. I only say it about things that actually look like pajamas on me. It's and not it's everything. Like an elevated like um, loungewear kind of thing, like something you might wear. To, Athleisure. Uh, no, well, like something you might wear to like a, a beach vibe type thing. But oh, I felt like the material yeah, that stuff looks like that stuff absolutely look. would look like pajamas on me. hundred <laughs> percent. And then George Kirby surprised me, too. He, he looked good. The, he had the sunglasses on, which is kind of like a tee uh, with a blazer over it. Uh-huh. And um, his uh, I think it's his girlfriend looked beautiful as well. They were looking sleek. And then Luis Castillo, they went all black. He had the gold chain. Um, and then his daughters had some yellow and black dresses on. I love that the families all coordinated. Yeah. Like there was um, 
one family had all purple. I think Kenley Jansen from the Red Sox, they did all green. But, like, even the little kids okay. had, like, coordinating shoes. The wife and the husband matched. It's like, it was, the, it's like our very own Met Gala here yeah, in Seattle of. on the red carpet It seemed the like other the day. players really kind of got into it. Cool. The coolest place for it. All the background. You see all the old Pike Place signs yeah. and stuff. Like, That's great. They didn't have, like, yeah. the gum wall behind them or something. No, like, no, no, no. hey, they here did. we're all dressed <laughs> to the nines, and there's a bunch of old other people's disgusting gum all <laughs> stuck to a the, wall. Here's the DNA <laughs> alley. Gross. But to all Brock's right. point, like next year when it's 105 degrees in Texas, that's all going to have to be indoors. Yeah. It's really cool to have that outside at the market. It's a pretty special place, man. And Seattle absolutely showed up over the last week. All right. Coming up next, we'll get Jerry DePoto's thoughts on what he saw during All-Star Week. What was he doing with all the other GMs and big names around? Are they talking trade? Is something going to happen? We'll talk to him next. It's Brock and Salk. Seattle Sports on 710. SeattleSports.com. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, it was a great, great all-star week. It was a lot of fun here in Seattle, but now it's time to start to turn our attention forward to the second half of this season. Trade deadline just a couple weeks away. And with that in mind as a background, let's talk to Jerry DePoto. The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. All right, I lied. Let's go back first, Jerry, and talk just for a moment or two about the week that was. What was your impression overall of All-Star Week here in Seattle? Uh, I mean, I, I guess Mother Nature couldn't have cooperated anymore. Gorgeous uh, backdrop beautiful scene at the ballpark for all of the different events and uh, really can't say enough how proud I am of our organization of all the people that were associated with putting the show on and you know our friends from MLB who came in it was pretty awesome and I I think the, the group around us feels proud for what they were able to accomplish really cool what are you what are your responsibilities like during a week like that Truly none. <laughs> I mean, it's a, there's a, we had obviously our, our game schedule is going on through Sunday and throughout we spent, you know, three weeks in general seclusion as we were preparing for the draft, which now goes on simultaneous with, with the all-star week events. So, you know, beginning on Sunday evening and running through uh, late Tuesday afternoon, we had just enough time to leave the draft room and get over to the ballpark for the start of the home run derby and then for the start of the all-star game on Tuesday. So we were, we were in the draft room, you know, finding new Mariners. Well, how, how did that go? I mean, we, 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 I know you got a director of scouting and amateur scouting and all that. How, How much of a role do you have specifically in the selection of the 20 or so players that you guys took? Uh, you know, there may be a little bigger role, certainly a bigger role than I played in, in putting on the all-star game show. But, you know, we, uh, you know, Scott Hunter, our director of amateur scouting does a fantastic job. He's been in this role for seven years and, you know, our cross-check group, our area scouts just do a fantastic job of, of laying out, presenting players from across the country and, and Canada and, you know, we sit in the room for three weeks and we go through about 700 players and, and carve through the names. And a lot of the role that I play at this stage is, you know, I still do video evaluations and, and we run through favorites, you know, but mostly it's strategic. You know, what are we trying to accomplish in any given draft? You know, what are we looking for 
in terms of building blocks, the types of skills that we want to build with, and you know, and then trust the scouts to to find the players that have that can bring those skills to life. So, what was the strategy then with this draft? You know, this draft we and I think we've talked about it before. I think this draft was as deep in position players, particularly the high school group that we'd ever really seen. And we went into this draft with the extra picks, believing that this was a chance, you know, to swing for the fences, to try to find, you know, some big upside and what we would call aircraft carrier type talents. And so often when you're, you know, you have the one pick in the first round and you're trying to balance a draft, you know, some risk, some certainty, you know, this time we went for uh, what we thought was the, the players that were best and, and most available to us at this stage were high upside, super athletic high school hitters. And, and we took a crack. And, and I feel really good about what we were able to accomplish. You know, found a couple of fun college players to, to mix in. But I think we built what should start becoming the next wave. And it's uh it's a really exciting group and we've never added this kind of athletic talent in one draft before at least is, in my time here what is the hit rate like now on high school players like that uh pretty good you know the, the best high school hitters in the country and, and we've nailed three or four of them in this draft uh the best high school hitters in the country generally do you know go on to become major league players and and in some cases you know or many cases they become the stars of major league baseball uh, we tend to lean on younger players you know we drafted a pair of 18 year olds and two 17 year olds youth in this regard is really your friend you know that the younger talented players a guy like colt emerson who's 17 or ty pete who's 17 johnny farmello aiden smith are both 18 you know, the, the young ones really project well because they're already among the best hitters in their class and they're young for the class, which, you know, kind of generally that it leads you to better outcomes over time. At least that's what the research will tell you. So we're, we're really excited about this group when you add it to Cole Young from a year ago, Harry Ford. We, we are starting to build up a nice you know, pocket of players who, as they make their way towards Seattle, it's it should get pretty uh, pretty fun, and we get more athletic every day. What should we read into the fact that you were so uh, bat heavy, especially early in the draft? Is that what was available to you? Was that part of the strategy? Does that speak to where your organization's at? What what does that mean? Uh, it's a little bit of all that. You know, we did feel like the the best players available to us when we were picking were bats and you know it, it's also from a strategic standpoint and i'm going to you know reference teddy mcgraw who we picked in the third round we do feel like our organization has done particularly well in in finding players like teddy and and others who we took in the, the latter half of day two uh of the draft and, and it was just a chance to to tap into high upside bat potential to add to a system, frankly, that right now is bat heavy. You know, we have our best prospects that haven't graduated to the big leagues are, are mostly hitters at this point. And, but we have a young foundation of pitching. We do very well with finding pitching in, in various places, sometimes later in the draft, sometimes trade, sometimes the waiver wire. And, you know, trusting what we do very well, but mostly taking the best players available to you because the baseball draft is a little different in that way. It's going to take these kids, you know, years to, to get to the big leagues and, and we have to be patient. 
Yeah, it's funny. I, I found myself thinking a little bit about that and thinking about some of the other conversations we've had about the ballpark and free agents and trying to get people to come here and some of the frustrations maybe last year at the winter meetings that the trade market didn't really develop the way uh, the way maybe you hoped it would and saying, well, is the best strategy then to make sure you're drafting bats and then finding other ways to acquire pitching? Is that part of how you look at it? It's exactly how we look at it, and it's a it's a strategy that has evolved over time. But if if our opportunity to tap into star quality offensive players is through the international free agent market, like a Julio Rodriguez, like a Gabby Gonzalez who's coming through our system right now, Michael Arroyo, there are a number of players who we've been able to to sign and develop through that avenue and and then you look at the draft and and some of the exciting players that we're able to to push through our system if if your aircraft carriers if your your impact offensive players start coming from your system and you trust your system to develop pitching in, in other and unique ways and it also helps that we have a foundation of pitchers who are in their mid-20s and we think they're already built out strong major leaguer future with with multiple star quality players in the lineup well speaking of aircraft carriers julio is obviously one of those and it was interesting watching him this week he was the story for so much of it as the biggest star in the hometown of the of the all-star game you know it, it sure sounds like he's got a lot of responsibilities in addition to just going out and playing baseball how, i know we've talked about it before but how challenging is that for him it's got to be challenging. I mean, I felt we were all exhausted. And I know, you know, Katie and Mandy Lincoln, you know, kudos to Mandy for what she did throughout the week. So many of the people that were building up the all-star experience for, for a couple of years now had to be just fried when the, when the final pitch was thrown the other night. And Julio was right there among them. You know, it, serving as, you know, the, the effectively serving as a host, MLB's host for the for the all-star game hitting in the home run contest, which by itself is an exhausting thing. And then, you know, having the big moment in the ninth inning with the the crowd roaring, those are emotional moments to take a lot out of you. And, you know, and then going through all the glad handing, the parties, the, you know, family, every one of those players had family in to, to come see him. And that's its own stress. So um, I'm hoping that Julio has spent the last 48 hours just, sleeping and catching up on on uh you know slowing life down because he did carry a lot of the load what did you think of that last at bat he had where he walked i was thrilled <laughs> i wish he would have hit the homer you know it would have been the roy hobbs moment and the storybook you know event really the whole the whole week-long event but the fact that he had the maturity not to to leave his approach he stuck with it and and i for one was was particularly happy that he was mature enough just to pass the baton and you know it's 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 how we want to play baseball it's how we urge the guys to to react and the fact that in that moment and it probably helps that there's all stars all around you <laughs> he didn't feel the pressure i have to get this done even though the crowd was chanting his name and and he knew you know that the, the the how big the moment was that this was i mean it could have been one of the 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 three or four biggest moments in the history of the all-star game had he hit a homer there but it's uh 
it's taking the walk that really starts to build a foundation for us as a club, as opposed to you know the, the popularity of the league. Yeah, it's, it's nice having Jose Ramirez hitting after you. Like, well, <laughs> I mean, if I if I take a walk, the next guy's pretty good. Hey, speaking of Julio, Scott said something uh, a week or so ago that I wanted to play for you. And it's not criticism. He said it after, uh, I think, a good game that Julio had. But it speaks to uh, maybe some of the struggles Julio's had this year and what he can do to get out of it. And I, I was hoping maybe you could expand on this. This is what Scott said. I think this was July 3rd about Julio. Talk to players. You try to explain to players. You try to show them the numbers and the game and the video and everything else. There comes a time there has to be the want to. And uh, I thought he made some good adjustments today. He stayed in the middle of the field. Even the ball he pulled at the end for the RBI single, he's trying to go to right center field, so he's staying on that ball, and good things happen. So, again, uh, who is a very young player? He's going to have ups and downs. Um, he's had some struggles this year. Um, and you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I know teammates are trying to help him out, coach staff trying to help him out. And, uh, you know, he needs to be open to those things because when he is, it's an electric player. It really is. Where is what does all that mean? I'm trying to interpret it as a radio host and understand what Scott's getting at. What do you hear there? No, I hear the same thing that we talk about internally fairly frequently, and not just about Julio, but about a lot of our young players. It's so easy to get caught up in this, and and when Julio's hitting in that home run contest, when Julio's coming up for the biggest at bat in the All Star game against a sellout crowd or with a sellout crowd in the home park. Sometimes it's hard to remember he's 22, you know, or he's, he's younger than some of the players we drafted over the course of those, those three days. And, and, and he's already one of the biggest stars or, or you know, celebrities on the major league stage. And that's a lot of responsibility. And, and with it comes a, I got this type of, of, you know, feel. And it's been an up and down year for Julio with the bat. You know, he's always brought the defense. He's brought the base running every day. And, you know, I suspect he's spent a lot of his season trying to do too much to live up to a lot of those expectations that I just mentioned. It's, you know, so to to be open to a suggestion from coaches, to be, you know, willing to get in the cage and talk through what you're feeling instead of feeling like I have to go get this done because, and then you run down a list of 10 responsibilities you feel like you have, not the least of which is, the people expected of mm-hmm. him. And, you know, that's a lot of pressure to carry. And, and when Scott says that, that's what it reminds me of, because it's frequently what we're discussing is how do we take the onus off of Julio? We've talked about this for a couple of years with Jared Kelnick. How do we take the pressure off of him so that he can just go be who he is? And, and uh, you know, that's, that's why we're here. That's why we have a staff. That's why we coach. That's why we have resources. And, and, and hopefully that's why, veteran teammates become so valuable to young guys. I was uh, I wrote about Julio last night, so maybe I'm just looking for some confirmation on what I wrote. But I, I, I was thinking about things that motivate athletes, money, you know, the, their teammates, all the things that athletes play for. And I'm sure the fans are on the list for a lot of athletes, but I'm wondering if that is a higher uh, calling for Julio than it is for most. He seems to just have such a a natural relationship and desire to play for the fans. I think you've heard me say this before, and I can say it about Julio. And I can also say it about most anyone who's ever, you know, walked out on a major league field. 
you love to show what you can do and you love when people adore you for doing it. <laughs> and, you know, and Julio has that. He has that natural want to. He wants to get, he wants to generate a smile. He wants to make people say, wow. And, and, and he probably does want it a little bit more than the other guys. The, the, the best and the, the greatest players ever naturally do. And, and he does have such an easy way of interacting with people. And, you know, and you can see the joy with which he plays. You can see the, the talent that he has. And, and it jumps out, even if you're not a baseball fan and you're walking past a TV you know, when Julio's hitting in the home run contest at Dodger Stadium or the first round of that home run contest on Monday, you can't help but stop and watch. There's an electricity to it. And, and there's a natural draw, a magnetism that, that he has and, and that exists between he and the fans that I think makes him a special player. And, and he has the talent to, to continue to draw on, on, on that well, I guess. And he can become so much, uh, bigger than just a great baseball player because of how much he cares about the way he interacts with the community around him. I don't want to get you in any trouble. I know that you, you know, can only say so much about, you know, other players that don't play for your organization, but I'm sure you heard the crowd chanting, come to Seattle. What did you make of that? Who are they talking about? I, it's hard to say. I, I'm not going to. I won't answer that question. <laughs> they were just. It was at some point during the game. They were chanting, "Come to Seattle." Did you have a reaction when you heard it? I thought it was pretty cool, actually. And 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 again, just like we talked about with Julio, there's whether whether it's some form of adoration. It's a. It had to feel good if you were Shohei Otani to realize that you know a, a rival club, you know that the fan base would react that way, and you know it's uh, he's a special player having a special year, and I thought it was really cool that our fans showed him that type of adoration because you know, it was clearly not you know it, those were thoughts not being expressed by greater Major League Baseball fans who flew into Seattle. Those were Mariner fans, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool, and you know they they had different reactions to other rivals. So it's not like you know they welcomed all of their rivals to Seattle. It felt like there was some uh, vitriol reserved for certain other rivalries in the American League West. Yeah, I don't I don't think that Kyle Tucker wasn't really here in the the, the come to Seattle chance, but. You know, all the same, another great player. But the, it was just a different feel. And and there's so many stories, you know, the underlying stories with, you know, what Shohei's doing right now. I'm, I'm kind of a modern-day Babe Ruth having the greatest year in his career, which is going, you know, tracking as one of the greatest years in baseball history, regardless of time and place. But, you know, to to appreciate that, to appreciate the young star in his home ballpark, to appreciate you know, 30 some odd first time all stars. It's, it's a pretty cool thing. And, and I, you know, it's, it's a shame that it only happens, you know, once in, in a couple of generations that you get to host an all-star game, but this is going to be one just like 2001 where it, it's going to be a long time before, before people forget the event, which is, you know, that's, that's the idea. That's part of yeah. the, the mission. Maybe you can't answer this, and maybe the answer is so obvious I shouldn't even ask it, but should he become available, I assume you would want to acquire a player like Shohei Otani? There's a, I, I probably can't answer that directly, but to say that I think there are 29 teams 
that would be very interested in acquiring Shohei Otani. Yeah, well, I, I think that that's probably true. Uh, your team goes in to the break having won seven of nine games. It was nice to see them get hot and against a, you know some really good quality opponents. How does that change or affect your decision-making as we get closer here just a couple weeks away from the deadline? Uh, probably not greatly. We're we're still waiting to see where we end up in this thing. Our our plan and the way it has been for years has always been find ways to get better. And you know we tend to think longer term than short. You know even the the Luis Castillo acquisition at the trade deadline last year, we weren't looking at it as this is the boost that gets us you know to the postseason. It's this is the boost that brings an ace to town, and we're going to see if we can lock him up for a while. So. You know, we'll continue to look at at the market, likely more players that, that have a chance to move forward with us than, than what you would call short term, you know, or rental types. And mostly trying to, to, to build that foundation and continue to build something sustainable. Uh, that's always our plan. So that hasn't changed greatly. You know, we'll see what happens over the course of the next two weeks, you know, that, that may change our position in the standings. But We've, we did a nice job of making ourselves relevant in the, the playoff race in the second half. And, you know, and we, we made it challenging on ourselves through a lot of, of April and, and into early May. But we've generally played better uh, in, in recent months over the, the aggregate. We have our ups and downs. We have our, you know, can't score the run with the bases loaded, nobody out moments. But generally we've played better uh, over the course of the last you know few weeks and very well over the course of the last 10 days so you know excited to see where it goes maybe that was a turning point for our club and we can start doing the things that we've always been capable of doing do you have a sense of what that turning point might have been i mean brock and i talked a little bit about it it came after a players only meeting it came after the booing at home we kind of talked about these fans and you know the way they 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 let the team know what they felt of about their performance in that tampa bay game do you have a sense as to what it may have been that, that that's turned the corner, or do you just shrug your shoulders and say, yeah, that's baseball. Sometimes you hit and you, you look a whole lot better. No, I actually think that, that all of those events you just described were exactly what, what created the turning point is, you know, players started to reflect players started to, to let loose on the, the stress that they were bottling up. And, you know, we've talked about it so much. It's mean you can't play tight. You, you can't play gripping the bat or gripping the ball any tighter. You know, it's, you have to be loose. And, and that's hard to do when, when, when you're struggling, when the fans are booing, when you're giving up a touchdown or two in, in consecutive games or you can't score that the big run at the critical moment. And, and our players – Leaving that Washington series and headed into the Tampa series during our last homestand, I think our players were embarrassed and they got to, we were embarrassed collectively and they got together. They spoke with one another. They didn't need help or guidance. And and I think they, they found themselves in the struggle. And, and I think that's mostly the story of every good movie you've ever watched. That's all good (laughs) sports stories. It's, you know, over 162 game season, that's what you do is you you're constantly going through the trials and the tribulations in the effort to find yourself. And and I think we did. And, and we're certainly playing like it right now. And and it's a, we're playing past the baton offense. Our pitching continues to, to drive our ship. The bullpen's been really good. And you know, you, I can't ask for a lot more than what we got over those last 10 days. Again, putting us in a position to be relevant. And, and that's really all we could have asked for. 
Pretty great. It was uh, it was nice to have you on uh, on a Thursday, not after a Wednesday loss. So, uh, I mean, I guess that wasn't really an option, but it was still good. And uh, hopefully we'll get to keep doing it that way. We're a couple of weeks away from the trade deadline. So love this time of year and excited to see the team back out there tomorrow. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. You got it, Mike. Talk right. to you soon. There you go. There is Jerry DePoto, Mariners president of baseball operations, taking some time to uh, to join us as he does every Thursday at 830. And yeah, there's a lot in there and, and sort of a good sense as to where this team is going, why they are where they are and what they could be doing next. We'll come back here and discuss what we heard coming up on Brock and Salk. CL Sports on 710, CLSports.com.